Hey everyone, welcome back to week three of The Wizard of Oz. I'm in my living room, not in the studio, or I'm in my kitchen actually, not in the studio this week. And just talking to you and hoping everyone's doing good. We are at book four of The Wizard of Oz, book three about Dorothy. I'm hanging out here with some cool babies. I'm not a baby! You're not a baby. Okay, you're not a baby. I'm hanging out with some cool kids. How do you feel about that? Um, a kid. Okay, you're a kid. All right, thank you so much. And that was Minnie, who's helping me uh, produce the show this week. So, do you do you like The Wizard of Oz, Minnie? I've never seen that. You've never seen The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. What's your favorite, uh, what's your favorite book? Um, uh, any book in my turquoise back? Okay, um, what books would those be? Um, do you know? Um, you know, I have the counting, um, bug one, and even I did, and even, um, it's with a ladybug, and even, on the, um, she asked all the bugs, she, she lifted at her teeth, and even all the cakes, but there was no bite, but then the bugs came! All right, Bugs came. That's pretty cool. So, how are you doing? Are you, are you having a good week, Minerva? Yeah, but and even there's, a, there's one in the, on the book rack. Yeah, there's one on the book rack? Um, which is, which is about Paw Patrol! Paw Patrol, okay. All right, so your favorite things right now are Pokemon, Paw Patrol, and Frozen? Yeah, even... Yeah, even... Power um, Rangers could have uh, tell you like Power Rangers too, okay? Cause you, Minnie, you want to be a ninja? Yeah. Yeah, you want to be a ninja. Well, there's no ninjas in the Wizard of Oz, but there is bunny slippers from BunnySlippers.com in this advertisement. Thank you so much, Minnie. Do you like the bunny slipper, bunny slippers, the fuzzy cow slippers in the front room? No, Easter was two days ago. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Black Clock Audio Tales. <laughs> it's been an interesting week, and we all hope you're doing well, and we hope you're keeping warm, and you've got cool stuff like bunny slippers and found item clothing. Thank you so much. Remember to help support the show by going to Facebook, Instagram, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, any place that you find out about our podcast that you can tell other people about it or recommend it and rate and review. That really helps the show. And yeah, Dorothy and the Wizard. Here we go. The Vegetable Kingdom. After the wizard had wiped the dampness from his sword and taken it apart and put the pieces into the leather case again, the man with the star ordered some of his people to carry the two halves of the sorcerer to the public gardens. Jim pricked up his ears when he heard they were going to the gardens, and wanted to join the party, thinking he might find something proper to eat. So Zeb put down the top of the buggy and invited the wizard to ride with him. The seat was amply wide enough for the little man and the two children, and when Jim started to leave the hall, the kitten jumped upon his back and sat there quite contentedly. So the procession moved through the streets, the bearers of the sorcerer first, the prince next, then Jim drawing the buggy with the strangers inside of it, and last the crowd of vegetable people who had no hearts and could neither smile nor frown. 
The glass city had several fine streets, for a good many people lived there, but when the procession had passed through these it came upon a broad plain covered with gardens and watered by many pretty brooks that flowed through it. There were paths through these gardens, and over some of the brooks were ornamental glass bridges. Dorothy and Zeb now got out of the buggy and walked beside the prince, so that they might see and examine the flowers and plants better. Who built these lovely bridges? asked the little girl. No one built them, answered the man with the star. They grow. That's queer, said she. Did the glass houses in your city grow too? Of course, he replied. But it took a good many years for them to grow as large and fine as they are now. That is why we are so angry when a rain of stones comes to break our towers and crack our roofs. Can you mend them? she inquired. No, but they will grow together again in time, and we must wait until they do. They first passed through many beautiful gardens of flowers, which grew nearest the city. But Dorothy could hardly tell what kind of flowers they were, because the colors were constantly changing under the shifting lights of the six suns. A flower would be pink one second, white the next, then blue or yellow, and it was the same way when they came to the plants which had broad leaves and grew close to the ground. When they passed over a field of grass, Jim immediately stretched down his head and began to nibble. A nice country this is, he grumbled, where a respectable horse has to eat pink grass. It's violet, said the wizard, who was in the buggy. Now it's blue, complained the horse. As a matter of fact, I'm eating rainbow grass. How does it taste? asked the wizard. Not bad at all, said Jim. If they give me plenty of it, I'll not complain about its color. By this time, the party had reached a freshly plowed field, and the prince said to Dorothy, This is our planting ground. Several mangaboos came forward with glass spades and dug a hole in the ground. Then they put the two halves of the sorcerer into it and covered him up. After that, other people brought water from a brook and sprinkled the earth. He will sprout very soon, said the prince, and grow into a large bush, from which we shall in time be able to pick several very good sorcerers. Do all your people grow on bushes? asked the boy. Certainly. Was the reply, Do not all people grow upon bushes where you come from, on the outside of the earth? Not that I ever heard of. How strange! But if you will come with me to one of our folk gardens, I will show you the way we grow in the land of the Mangaboos. It appeared that these odd people, while they were able to walk through the air with ease, usually moved upon the ground in the ordinary way. There were no stairs in their houses, because they did not need them, but on a level surface they generally walked just as we do. The little party of strangers now followed the prince across a few more of the glass bridges and along several paths, until they came to a garden enclosed by a high hedge. Jim had refused to leave the field of grass, where he was engaged in busily eating. So the wizard got out of the buggy and joined Zeb and Dorothy, and the kitten followed demurely at their heels. Inside the hedge they came upon row after row of large and handsome plants, with broad leaves gracefully curving until their points nearly reached the ground. 
In the center of each plant grew a daintily dressed mangaboo, for the clothing of all these creatures grew upon them and was attached to their bodies. The growing mangaboos were of all sizes, from the blossom that had just turned into a wee baby to the full-grown and almost ripe man or woman. On some of the bushes might be seen a bud, a blossom, a baby, a half-grown person, and a ripe one, but even those ready to pluck were motionless and silent, as if devoid of life. This sight explained to Dorothy why she had seen no children among the mangaboos, a thing she had until now been unable to account for. "'Our people do not acquire their real life until they leave their bushes,' said the prince. "'You will notice they are all attached to the plants by the soles of their feet, and when they are quite ripe they are easily separated from the stems and at once attain the powers of motion and speech.' So while they grow, they cannot be said to really live, and they must be picked before they can become good citizens. How long do you live after you are picked? asked Dorothy. That depends upon the care we take of ourselves, he replied. If we keep cool and moist and meet with no accidents, we often live for five years. I've been picked over six years, but our family is known to be especially long-lived. Do you eat? asked the boy. Eat? No, indeed. We are quite solid inside our bodies and have no need to eat any more than does a potato. But the potatoes sometimes sprout, said Zeb. And sometimes we do, answered the prince. But that is considered a great misfortune, for then we must be planted at once. Where did you grow? asked the wizard. I will show you, was the reply. Step this way, please. He led them within another but smaller circle of hedge, where grew one large and beautiful bush. This, said he, is the royal bush of the Mangaboos. All of our princes and rulers have grown upon this one bush from time immemorial. They stood before it in silent admiration. On the central stalk stood poised the figure of a girl so exquisitely formed and colored and so lovely in the expression of her delicate features that Dorothy thought she had never seen so sweet and adorable a creature in all her life. The maiden's gown was soft as satin and fell about her in ample folds, while dainty lace-like traceries trimmed the bodice and sleeves. Her flesh was fine and smooth as polished ivory, and her poise expressed both dignity and grace. "'Who is this?' asked the wizard curiously. The prince had been staring hard at the girl on the bush. Now he answered with a touch of uneasiness in his cold tones. "'She is the ruler destined to be my successor, for she is a royal princess.' When she becomes fully ripe, I must abandon the sovereignty of the Mangaboos to her. Isn't she ripe now? asked Dorothy. He hesitated. Not quite, said he finally. It will be several days before she needs to be picked, or at least that is my judgment. I am in no hurry to resign my office and be planted, you may be sure. Probably not, declared the wizard, nodding. "'This is one of the most unpleasant things about our vegetable lives,' continued the prince with a sigh. 
that while we are in our full prime, we must give way to another and be covered up in the ground to sprout and grow and give birth to other people. I'm sure the princess is ready to be picked, asserted Dorothy, gazing hard at the beautiful girl on the bush. She's as perfect as she can be. Never mind, answered the prince hastily. She will be all right for a few days longer, and it's best for me to rule until I can dispose of you strangers who have come to our land uninvited and must be attended to at once. What are you going to do with us? asked Zeb. That is a matter I have not quite decided upon, was the reply. I think I shall keep this wizard until a new sorcerer is ready to pick, for he seems quite skillful and may be of use to us. But the rest of you must be destroyed in some way, and you cannot be planted, because I do not wish horses and cats and meat people growing all over our country. You needn't worry, said Dorothy. We wouldn't grow underground, I'm sure. But why destroy my friends? asked the little wizard. Why not let them live? They do not belong here, returned the prince. They have no right to be inside the earth at all. We didn't ask to come down here, we fell, said Dorothy. That is no excuse, declared the prince coldly. The children looked at each other in perplexity, and the wizard sighed. Eureka rubbed her paw on her face and said in her soft, purring voice, He won't need to destroy me, for if I don't get something to eat pretty soon, I shall starve to death, and so save him the trouble. If he planted you, he might grow some cattails, suggested the wizard. Oh, Eureka, perhaps we can find you some milkweeds to eat, said the boy. Pooh, snarled the kitten. I wouldn't touch the nasty things. You don't need milk, Eureka, remarked Dorothy. You're big enough now to eat any kind of food. If I can get it, added Eureka. I'm hungry myself, said Zeb. But I noticed some strawberries growing in one of the gardens, and some melons in another place. These people don't eat such things, so perhaps on our way back they will let us get them. Never you mind your hunger, interrupted the prince. I shall order you destroyed in a few minutes, so you will have no need to ruin our pretty melon vines and berry bushes. Follow me, please, to meet your doom. End of chapter 4 Dorothy Picks the Princess The words of the cold and moist vegetable prince were not very comforting, and as he spoke them he turned away and left the enclosure. The children, feeling sad and despondent, were about to follow him when the wizard touched Dorothy softly on her shoulder. Wait, he whispered. What for? asked the girl. Suppose we pick the royal princess, said the wizard. I'm quite sure she's ripe and as soon as she comes to life she will be the ruler and may treat us better than that heartless prince intends to. All right, exclaimed Dorothy eagerly. Let's pick her while we have the chance before the man with the star comes back. So together they leaned over the great bush, and each of them seized one hand of the lovely princess. Pull, cried Dorothy, and as they did so, the royal lady leaned toward them, and the stems snapped and separated from her feet. She was not heavy at all, so the wizard and Dorothy managed to lift her gently to the ground. 
The beautiful creature passed her hands over her eyes an instant, tucked in a stray lock of hair that had become disarranged, and after a look around the garden made those present a gracious bow and said, in a sweet but even-toned voice, I thank you very much. We salute your royal highness, cried the wizard, kneeling and kissing her hand. Just then the voice of the prince was heard calling upon them to hasten, and a moment later he returned to the enclosure, followed by a number of his people. Instantly the princess turned and faced him, and when he saw that she was picked, the prince stood still and began to tremble. Sir, said the royal lady with much dignity, you have wronged me greatly, and would have wronged me still more, had not these strangers come to my rescue. I have been ready for picking all the past week, but because you were selfish and desired to continue your unlawful rule, you left me to stand silent upon my bush. I did not know that you were ripe, answered the prince in a low voice. Give me the star of royalty, she commanded. Slowly he took the shining star from his own brow and placed it upon that of the princess. Then all the people bowed low to her, and the prince turned and walked away alone. What became of him afterward our friends never knew. The people of Mangaboo now formed themselves into a procession and marched toward the glass city to escort their new ruler to her palace and to perform those ceremonies proper to the occasion. But while the people in the procession walked upon the ground, the princess walked in the air just above their heads to show that she was a superior being and more exalted than her subjects. No one now seemed to pay any attention to the strangers, so Dorothy and Zeb and the wizard let the train pass on and then wandered by themselves into the vegetable gardens. They did not bother to cross the bridges over the brooks, but when they came to a stream, they stepped high and walked in the air to the other side. This was a very interesting experience to them, and Dorothy said, I wonder why it is that we can walk so easily in the air. Perhaps, answered the wizard, it is because we are close to the center of the earth, where the attraction of gravitation is very slight. But I've noticed that many queer things happen in fairy countries. Is this a fairy country? asked the boy. Of course it is, returned Dorothy promptly. Only a fairy country could have vegetable people, and only in a fairy country could Eureka and Jim talk as we do. That's true, said Zeb thoughtfully. In the vegetable gardens they found the strawberries and melons and several other unknown but delicious fruits of which they ate heartily. But the kitten bothered them constantly by demanding milk or meat, and called the wizard names because he could not bring her a dish of milk by means of his magical arts. As they sat upon the grass watching Jim, who was still busily eating, Eureka said, I don't believe you are a wizard at all. No, answered the little man, you are quite right. In the strict sense of the word, I am not a wizard, but only a humbug. The Wizard of Oz has always been a humbug, agreed Dorothy. I've known him for a long time. If that is so, said the boy, how could he do that wonderful trick with the nine tiny piglets? Don't know, said Dorothy, but it must have been humbug. Very true, declared the wizard, nodding at her. It was necessary to deceive that ugly sorcerer and the prince, as well as their stupid people, 
but I don't mind telling you who are my friends that the thing was only a trick. But I saw the little pigs with my own eyes, exclaimed Zeb. So did I, purred the kitten. To be sure, answered the wizard, you saw them because they were there. They are in my inside pocket now, but the pulling of them apart and pushing them together again was only a sleight of hand trick. Let's see the pigs, said Eureka eagerly. The little man felt carefully in his pocket and pulled out the tiny piglets, setting them upon the grass one by one, where they ran around and nibbled the tender blades. They're hungry, too, he said. Oh, what cunning things, cried Dorothy, catching up one and petting it. Be careful, said the piglet with a squeal. You're squeezing me. Dear me, murmured the wizard, looking at his pets in astonishment. They can actually talk. May I eat one of them? asked the kitten in a pleading voice. I'm awfully hungry. Why, Eureka, said Dorothy reproachfully. What a cruel question. It would be dreadful to eat these dear little things. I should say so, grunted another of the piglets, looking uneasily at the kitten. Cats are cruel things. I'm not cruel, replied the kitten, yawning. I'm just hungry. You cannot eat my piglets even if you are starving, declared the little man in a stern voice. They are the only things I have to prove I'm a wizard. How do they happen to be so little? asked Dorothy. I never saw such small pigs before. They are from the island of Tintiwinty, said the wizard. Where everything is small because it's a small island. A sailor brought them to Los Angeles, and I gave him nine tickets to the circus for them. But what am I going to eat? wailed the kitten, sitting in front of Dorothy and looking pleadingly into her face. There are no cows here to give milk, or any mice, or even grasshoppers. And if I can't eat the piglets, you may as well plant me at once and raise ketchup. I have an idea, said the wizard, that there are fishes in these brooks. Do you like fish? Fish? cried the kitten. Do I like fish? Why, they're better than piglets, or even milk. Then I'll try to catch you some, said he. But won't they be vegetable like everything else here? asked the kitten. I think not. Fishes are not animals, and they are as cold and moist as the vegetables themselves. There is no reason that I can see why they may not exist in the waters of this strange country. Then the wizard bent a pen for a hook and took a long piece of string from his pocket for a fish line. The only bait he could find was a bright red blossom from a flower. But he knew fishes are easy to fool if anything bright attracts their attention, so he decided to try the blossom. Having thrown the end of his line in the water of a nearby brook, He soon felt a sharp tug that told him a fish had bitten and was caught on the bent pin. So the little man drew in the string, and sure enough, the fish came with it and was landed safely on the shore, where it began to flop around in great excitement. The fish was fat and round, and its scales glistened like beautifully cut jewels set close together. But there was no time to examine it closely. For Eureka made a jump and caught it between her claws, and in a few moments it had entirely disappeared. Oh, Eureka! cried Dorothy. Did you eat the bones? If it had any bones, I ate them, replied the kitten composedly, as it washed its face after the meal. But I don't think that fish had any bones because I didn't feel them scratch my throat. You were very greedy, said the girl. I was very hungry, replied the kitten. 
the little pigs had stood huddled in a group watching this scene with frightened eyes. Cats are dreadful creatures, said one of them. I'm glad we are not fishes, said another. Don't worry, Dorothy murmured soothingly. I'll not let the kitten hurt you. Then she happened to remember that in a corner of her suitcase were one or two crackers that were left over from her luncheon on the train, and she went to the buggy and brought them. Eureka stuck up her nose at such food, but the tiny piglets squealed delightedly at the sight of the crackers and ate them up in a jiffy. Now let us go back to the city, suggested the wizard. That is, if Jim has had enough of the pink grass. The cab horse, who was browsing near, lifted his head with a sigh. I've tried to eat a lot while I had the chance, said he, for it's likely to be a long while between meals in this strange country. But I'm ready to go now at any time you wish. So after the wizard had put the piglets back into his inside pocket, where they cuddled up and went to sleep, the three climbed into the buggy and Jim started back to the town. Where shall we stay? asked the girl. I think I shall take possession of the house of the sorcerer, replied the wizard, for the prince said in the presence of his people that he would keep me until they picked another sorcerer. And the new princess won't know but that we belong there. They agreed to this plan, and when they reached the great square, Jim drew the buggy into the big door of the domed hall. It doesn't look very homelike, said Dorothy, gazing around at the bare room, but it's a place to stay, anyhow. What are those holes up there? inquired the boy, pointing at some openings that appeared near the top of the dome. They look like doorways, said Dorothy. Only there are no stairs to get to them. You forget that stairs are unnecessary, observed the wizard. Let us walk up and see where the doors lead to. With this, he began walking in the air toward the high openings, and Dorothy and Zeb followed him. It was the sort of climb one experiences when walking up a hill, and they were nearly out of breath when they came to the row of openings, which they perceived to be doorways leading into halls in the upper part of the house. Following these halls, they discovered many small rooms opening from them, and some were furnished with glass benches, tables, and chairs, but there were no beds at all. I wonder if these people never sleep, said the girl. Why, there seems to be no night at all in this country, Zeb replied. Those colored suns are exactly in the same place they were when we came, and if there is no sunset, there can be no night. Very true, agreed the wizard. But it is a long time since I've had any sleep, and I'm tired, so I think I shall lie down upon one of these hard glass benches and take a nap. I will too, said Dorothy, and chose a little room at the end of the hall. Zeb walked down again to unharness Jim, who, when he found himself free, rolled over a few times and then settled down to sleep, with Eureka nestling comfortably beside his big bony body. Then the boy returned to one of the upper rooms, and in spite of the hardness of the glass bench, was soon deep in slumberland. End of chapter 5 The Mangaboos Proved Dangerous When the wizard awoke, the six colored suns were shining down upon the land of the Mangaboos, just as they had done ever since his arrival. The little man, having had a good sleep, felt rested and refreshed, and looking through the glass partition of the room, he saw Zeb sitting up on his bench and yawning, so the wizard went in to him. 
Zeb, said he, my balloon is of no further use in this strange country, so I may as well leave it on the square where it fell. But in the basket car are some things I would like to keep with me. I wish you would go and fetch my satchel, two lanterns, and a can of kerosene oil that is under the seat. There is nothing else that I care about. So the boy went willingly upon the errand, and by the time he had returned, Dorothy was awake. Then the three held a council to decide what they should do next, but could think of no way to better their condition. I don't like these vegetable people, said the little girl. They're cold and flabby, like cabbages, in spite of their prettiness. I agree with you. It is because there is no warm blood in them, remarked the wizard. And they have no hearts, so they can't love anyone, not even themselves, declared the boy. The princess is lovely to look at, continued Dorothy thoughtfully, but I don't care much for her after all. If there was any other place to go, I'd like to go there. But is there any other place? asked the wizard. I don't know, she answered. Just then they heard the big voice of Jim the cab horse calling to them, and going to the doorway leading to the dome, they found the princess and a throng of her people had entered the house of the sorcerer. So they went down to greet the beautiful vegetable lady, who said to them, I have been talking with my advisers about you meat people, and we have decided that you do not belong in the land of Mangaboos and must not remain here. How can we go away? asked Dorothy. Oh, you cannot go away, of course, so you must be destroyed, was the answer. In what way? inquired the wizard. We shall throw you three people into the garden of the twining vines, said the princess, and they will soon crush you and devour your bodies to make themselves grow bigger. The animals you have with you we will drive to the mountains and put into the black pit. Then our country will be rid of all its unwelcome visitors. But you are in need of a sorcerer, said the wizard, and not one of those growing is yet ripe enough to pick. I am greater than any thorn-covered sorcerer that ever grew in your garden. Why destroy me? It is true we need a sorcerer, acknowledged the princess, but I am informed that one of our own will be ready to pick in a few days to take the place of Gwig, whom you cut in two before it was time for him to be planted. Let us see your arts and the sorceries you are able to perform. Then I will decide whether to destroy you with the others or not. At this the wizard made a bow to the people and repeated his trick of producing the nine tiny piglets and making them disappear again. He did it very cleverly indeed, and the princess looked at the strange piglets as if she were as truly astonished as any vegetable person could be. But afterward she said, I have heard of this wonderful magic. But it accomplishes nothing of value. What else can you do? The wizard tried to think. Then he jointed together the blades of his sword and balanced it very skillfully upon the end of his nose. But even that did not satisfy the princess. Just then his eye fell upon the lanterns and the can of kerosene oil which Zeb had brought from the car of his balloon, and he got a clever idea from those commonplace things. Your Highness, said he, I will now proceed to prove my magic by creating two suns that you have never seen before. Also, I will exhibit a destroyer much more dreadful than your clinging vines. 
So he placed Dorothy upon one side of him and the boy upon the other, and set a lantern upon each of their heads. Don't laugh, he whispered to them, or you will spoil the effect of my magic. Then, with much dignity and a look of vast importance upon his wrinkled face, the wizard got out his matchbook and lighted the two lanterns. The glare they made was very small when compared to the radiance of the six great colored suns, but still they gleamed steadily and clearly. The Mangaboos were much impressed because they had never before seen any light that did not come directly from their suns. Next, the wizard poured a pool of oil from the can upon the glass floor, where it covered quite a broad surface. When he lighted the oil, a hundred tongues of flame shot up, and the effect was really imposing. Now, princess, exclaimed the wizard, those of your advisers who wished to throw me into the garden of clinging vines must step within this circle of light. If they advised you well and were in the right, they will not be injured in any way. But if any advised you wrongly, the light will wither him. The advisers of the princess did not like this test, but she commanded them to step into the flame, and one by one they did so, and were scorched so badly that the air was soon filled with an odor like that of baked potatoes. Some of the mangaboos fell down and had to be dragged from the fire, and all were so withered that it would be necessary to plant them at once. Sir, said the princess to the wizard, you are greater than any sorcerer we have ever known. As it is evident that my people have advised me wrongly, I will not cast you three people into the dreadful garden of the clinging vines, but your animals must be driven into the black pit in the mountain, for my subjects cannot bear to have them around. The wizard was so pleased to have saved the two children and himself that he said nothing against this decree. But when the princess had gone, both Jim and Eureka protested they did not want to go to the black pit, and Dorothy promised she would do all that she could to save them from such a fate. For two or three days after this, if we call days the periods between sleep, there being no night to divide the hours into days, our friends were not disturbed in any way. They were even permitted to occupy the house of the sorcerer in peace, as if it had been their own, and to wander in the gardens in search of food. Once they came near to the enclosed garden of the clinging vines, and walking high into the air, looked down upon it with much interest. They saw a mass of tough green vines, all matted together and writhing and twisting around like a nest of great snakes. Everything the vines touched, they crushed, and our adventurers were indeed thankful to have escaped being cast among them. Whenever the wizard went to sleep, he would take the nine tiny piglets from his pocket and let them run around on the floor of his room to amuse themselves and get some exercise. And one time they found his glass door ajar and wandered into the hall and then into the bottom part of the great dome, walking through the air as easily as Eureka could. They knew the kitten by this time, so they scampered over to where she lay beside Jim and commenced to frisk and play with her. The cab horse, who never slept long at a time, sat upon his haunches and watched the tiny piglets and the kitten with much approval. Don't be rough, he would call out, if Eureka knocked over one of the round fat piglets with her paw. 
but the pigs never minded and enjoyed the sport very greatly. Suddenly they looked up to find the room filled with the silent, solemn-eyed mangaboos. Each of the vegetable folk bore a branch covered with sharp thorns, which was thrust defiantly toward the horse, the kitten, and the piglets. Here, stop this foolishness, Jim roared angrily. But after being pricked once or twice, he got upon his four legs and kept out of the way of the thorns. The mangaboos surrounded them in solid ranks, but left an opening to the doorway of the hall, so the animals slowly retreated until they were driven from the room and out upon the street. Here were more of the vegetable people with thorns, and silently they urged the now frightened creatures down the street. Jim had to be careful not to step upon the tiny piglets, who scampered under his feet, grunting and squealing, while Eureka, snarling and biting at the thorns pushed toward her, also tried to protect the pretty little things from injury. Slowly but steadily, the heartless mangaboos drove them on until they had passed through the city and the gardens and come to the broad plains leading to the mountain. What does all this mean, anyhow? asked the horse, jumping to escape a thorn. Why, they're driving us toward the black pit, into which they threatened to cast us, replied the kitten. If I were as big as you are, Jim, I'd fight these miserable turnip roots. What would you do? inquired Jim. I'd kick out with those long legs and iron-shod hoofs. All right, said the horse. I'll do it. An instant later, he suddenly backed toward the crowd of mangaboos and kicked out his hind legs as hard as he could. A dozen of them smashed together and tumbled to the ground, and seeing his success, Jim kicked again and again, charging into the vegetable crowd, knocking them in all directions, and sending the others scattering to escape his iron heels. Eureka helped him by flying into the faces of the enemy and scratching and biting furiously, and the kitten ruined so many vegetable complexions that the mangaboos feared her as much as they did the horse. But the foes were too many to be repulsed for long. They tired Jim and Eureka out, and although the field of battle was thickly covered with mashed and disabled mangaboos, our animal friends had to give up at last and allow themselves to be driven to the mountain. End of chapter 6 Into the Black Pit and Out Again when they came to the mountain, it proved to be a rugged, towering chunk of deep green glass, and looked dismal and forbidding in the extreme. Halfway up the steep was a yawning cave, black as night beyond the point where the rainbow rays of the colored suns reached into it. The mangaboos drove the horse and the kitten and the piglets into this dark hole, and then, having pushed the buggy in after them, for it seemed some of them had dragged it all the way from the domed hall, they began to pile big glass rocks within the entrance, so that the prisoners could not get out again. "'This is dreadful,' groaned Jim. "'It will be the end of our adventures, I guess.' "'If the wizard was here,' said one of the piglets, sobbing bitterly, "'he would not see us suffer so.' We ought to have called him and Dorothy when we were first attacked, added Eureka. But never mind, be brave, my friends, and I will go and tell our masters where you are, and get them to come to your rescue. 
The mouth of the hole was nearly filled up now, but the kitten gave a leap through the remaining opening and at once scampered up into the air. The Mangaboos saw her escape, and several of them caught up their thorns and gave chase, mounting through the air after her. Eureka, however, was lighter than the Mangaboos, and while they could mount only about a hundred feet above the earth, the kitten found she could go nearly two hundred feet. So she ran along over their heads until she had left them far behind and below, and had come to the city and the house of the sorcerer. There she entered in at Dorothy's window in the dome and aroused her from her sleep. As soon as the little girl knew what had happened, she awakened the wizard and Zeb, and at once preparations were made to go to the rescue of Jim and the piglets. The wizard carried his satchel, which was quite heavy, and Zeb carried the two lanterns and the oil can. Dorothy's wicker suitcase was still under the seat of the buggy, and by good fortune the boy had also placed the harness in the buggy when he had taken it off of Jim to let the horse lie down and rest. So there was nothing for the girl to carry but the kitten, which she held close to her bosom and tried to comfort, for its little heart was still beating rapidly. Some of the Mangaboos discovered them as soon as they left the house of the sorcerer, but when they started toward the mountain, the vegetable people allowed them to proceed without interference, yet followed in a crowd behind them so that they could not go back again. Before long they neared the black pit, where a busy swarm of Mangaboos, headed by their princess, was engaged in piling up glass rocks before the entrance. "'Stop, I command you!' cried the wizard in an angry tone, and at once began pulling down the rocks to liberate Jim and the piglets. Instead of opposing him in this, they stood back in silence, until he had made a good-sized hole in the barrier, when, by order of the princess, they all sprang forward and thrust out their sharp thorns. Dorothy hopped inside the opening to escape being pricked, and Zeb and the wizard, after enduring a few stabs from the thorns, were glad to follow her. At once the Mangaboos began piling up the rocks of glass again, and, as the little man realized that they were all about to be entombed in the mountain, he said to the children, "'My dears, what shall we do? Jump out and fight?' "'What's the use?' replied Dorothy. "'I'd as soon die here as live much longer among those cruel and heartless people.' "'That's the way I feel about it,' remarked Zeb, rubbing his wounds. "'I've had enough of the Mangaboos.' "'All right,' said the wizard. "'I'm with you, whatever you decide. "'But we can't live long in this cavern, that's certain.' Noticing that the light was growing dim, he picked up his nine piglets, patted each one lovingly on its fat little head, and placed them carefully in his inside pocket. Zeb struck a match and lighted one of the lanterns. The rays of the colored suns were now shut out from them forever, for the last chinks had been filled up in the wall that separated their prison from the land of the Mangaboos. "'How big is this hole?' asked Dorothy. "'I'll explore it and see,' replied the boy. So he carried the lantern back for quite a distance, while Dorothy and the wizard followed at his side. The cavern did not come to an end as they had expected it would, but slanted upward through the great glass mountain, running in a direction that promised to lead them to the side opposite the Mangaboo country. 
"'It isn't a bad road,' observed the wizard, "'and if we followed it, it might lead us to some place "'that is more comfortable than this black pocket we are now in. "'I suppose the vegetable folk were always afraid to enter this cavern "'because it is dark, but we have our lanterns to light the way, "'so I propose that we start out and discover where this tunnel in the mountain leads to.' "'The others agreed readily to this sensible suggestion.' and at once the boy began to harness Jim to the buggy. When all was in readiness, the three took their seats in the buggy, and Jim started cautiously along the way, Zeb driving while the wizard and Dorothy held each a lighted lantern so the horse could see where to go. Sometimes the tunnel was so narrow that the wheels of the buggy grazed the sides, then it would broaden out as wide as a street, but the floor was usually smooth and for a long time they traveled on without any accident. Jim stopped sometimes to rest, for the climb was rather steep and tiresome. "'We must be nearly as high as the six-colored suns by this time,' said Dorothy. "'I didn't know this mountain was so tall.' "'We are certainly a good distance away from the land of the Mangaboos,' added Zeb, "'for we have slanted away from it ever since we started.' But they kept on steadily moving." And as Jim was about tired out with his long journey, the way suddenly grew lighter, and Zeb put out the lanterns to save the oil. To their joy they found it was a white light that now greeted them, for all were weary of the colored rainbow lights which, after a time, had made their eyes ache with their constantly shifting rays. The sides of the tunnel showed before them like the inside of a long spyglass, and the floor became more level. Jim hastened his lagging steps at this assurance of a quick relief from the dark passage, and in a few moments more they had emerged from the mountain and found themselves face to face with a new and charming country. End of chapter 7